Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. So it seems like a good Sunday to start with a football analogy, right? Come on. Bill Walsh, he was coach of the 49ers for 10 years from 1979 to 1988. He is considered one of the greatest football coaches of all time. He's the innovator of what's called the West Coast Offense and he's one of the greatest, not because he just just won three Super Bowls in those 10 years. It's pretty fantastic. But he's actually considered one of the greatest coaches because of his coaching tree. Did you know this? Take a look at the coaches who served on his staff. Underneath Bill Walsh, those are seven coaches who all went on to have phenomenal careers as NFL head coaches. But it doesn't even end there, because what he passed on to those seven, they passed on to other coaches who also became phenomenal head coaches in the NFL. It's his coaching tree. Because his greatness wasn't just measured by what he accomplished by himself. His greatness was measured by who he lifted up, who worked with him. There's a lot of famous Bill Walsh quotes. Let me just give you two of them. Here's one. Praise is one of the best tools at a leader's disposal. Isn't that great? Praise is one of the best tools at a leader's disposal. The other is this. The four most powerful words in a manager's arsenal is this. I believe in you. It's a great statement. If you're one of the players or the coaches underneath him, his job, what he believed was that his job was to lift you up and to give you opportunities. So let me tell you who the originator was of the let me lift you up concept. It wasn't Bill Walsh. It's found in Mark chapter 9, and his name was Jesus. So if you got your Bibles, I'm going to go through about 13 verses today. That's it. But I don't want you to take my word on this. I want you to read it for yourself. So open your Bible. You got digital right there on your phone, a little U version. Whether you want paper Bible, there might be some of the chairs in front of you. Mark chapter 9. I'm not going to be able to touch on everything There's going to be so much that's kind of left on the cutting room floor of these 12, 13 verses. And so um, stay with me, but I really want you to see this for yourself. Um, In Mark 9, I'm just going to touch on what I'll call three of Jesus' coaching principles for, for any group of followers. And if you have a group of followers that are following Jesus, those people are called a church, just like us. So if you would call yourself a Jesus follower, he has three things he wants to say to you, at least three things he wants to say to you today. We're going to step into his story. And if you've been with us in the last couple of weeks, you, you know the context of the story already. We've been talking about uh, chapters 8, 9, and 10, where Jesus three times predicts that he's going to die, and that he's going to be resurrected back to life. And if you remember each time these disciples who hear these really tragic words, instead of being concerned about Jesus, they're concerned about themselves. (laughs) In chapter 9, they're actually talking and arguing with each other as they're walking to this next town about which one of them is the greatest. That's the context for this. And Jesus, in this moment, he's trying to help them understand. If you're going to be great, if you're going to be great as a group, not just as individuals, but if you're going to be great as a group, you got to lift up the people around you. 
that Jesus makes this statement that if you're going to be great, you have to be the very last. If you're going to be great, you have to be the servant of all. And this is where the story begins here. John picks it up, one of his disciples, and he makes this statement, chapter 9, verse 38. Look at it in your own Bible. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because he was not one of us. It's just a weird story, I think. Like, it's, it's kind of out of the blue. Jesus, we found this guy. He was acting like us. He was claiming that he was one of yours, like he's one of your followers. And Jesus, he was actually healing people. But don't worry, Jesus, we canceled him. Jesus, we shut him down. We told him, you can't be doing that. Why would John do that? Well, if you remember back a couple weeks ago, I was speaking actually from Mark chapter 9. And three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, were with Jesus up on the mountain, remember? And it was, Jesus was transfigured before them. He's glowing. And the, you could hear the Father's voice speaking to Jesus, his son. This is my son. Listen to him. Well, as they all came down the mountain after this really spiritual moment, there were nine disciples who were still there. And they were trying to heal this one boy. Do you remember this story? And they come to him and they go, we've been trying to heal this boy. And the dad's like, yeah, they've been trying and they haven't been able to do it. And Jesus is like, this kind only comes out through prayer, through this powerful relationship that you have with God. I don't know if John is thinking about this moment where the disciples were unsuccessful in what they were trying to accomplish in healing this boy. And now there's this guy that's not one of the 12 and he's over here on the side of the group and he's not even on the inside of the group. He's not on Jesus' crew and he starts healing people, and John is like, oh, stop it, that's our job. What's going on in John's head and heart? Very possible, just jealousy. Oh, y'all couldn't do it. And now there's a guy who's not in the 12, and apparently he's having some success at healing, and John is like, stop it. You shouldn't be doing that. Maybe he's trying to just say, listen, listen, Jesus told us to do that, and it's really not your place. Notice that John keeps saying, we, we saw someone. This isn't just John's issue. We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. See, sometimes when we read the Bible, we think it's all about us, right? Oh, Jesus is telling me this. Seriously, the majority of the Bible is not actually written to an individual. It's written to a group of people. This is a message about the church. This is about a message to great churches. And so this morning, I want to talk about what makes a great church, because John didn't get it. Can I ask for God's help for just a sec? Lord Jesus, your scripture speaks powerful. And honestly, we, we mess it up like John does. Lord, my desire today is not to offend, but to speak truth, honest truth. And Lord, I'm among the people in this room. I don't preach this as somebody who gets this right. So God, speak to all of us today through your word. And let our hearts be open. And if your heart is open, would you agree with me by saying amen? This message to the church, John and his disciples, man, they had a choice. They could have celebrated this guy's victory. I mean, listen, he healed somebody. They could have went, that's amazing. Way to go. Let's go do it again. But they didn't. 
instead of lifting him up, they tried to leave him out. And this is Jesus' response, verse 39. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one does a miracle in my name, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So this person who claims to be a follower of Jesus, and and by their following, it's their actions of power. There's two things that happen there. Number one, he does something in the name of Jesus that shows tremendous power. He's not an imposter. If you want to read an imposter story, read um, Acts chapter 19 where these seven sons of Sceva, they try to say, hey, uh, the Jesus who these guys know over here, we're going to do a miracle in that name. We don't know Jesus, but we're going to do a miracle in that name. And they're faking it. They're imposters. The person who is possessed by an evil spirit beats them up and it says they run away bleeding and naked. It's a fantastic story. This guy's not a faker. He's like, no, no, no. The 12 don't know me. But Jesus knows me, and I'm following him, and I'm actually doing two things. One, I'm exercising power in the name of Jesus. Here's the other thing he's doing. He's showing compassion. What did he say? Jesus said, anybody who offers you this cup of cold, this cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. He's showing compassion, and he's showing power. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's redefining the team. Oh, you think it's just about the 12. Your team is so much bigger My church is so much bigger than just who you are. And I hope Church on the Hill hears that today. Those whom God loves and those whom whom God empowers, those whom God will use in this world to change the world is so much bigger than just us. Amen? That means you belong to something that's bigger. The church today, I think, needs to hear this because we live in such a critical culture today where churches tend to look down on each other. Because they're different. During the pandemic, when some churches went all online, we didn't meet here live in person. When some churches went all online, there were other churches that chose to meet. And the verbiage was, if you're not meeting live in person, you don't know what it means to be a church. You're not really the church. And then the churches who were all online, they turned around and they said, well, listen, we're doing this for the good of the community. And those that are meeting in person, you're giving a black eye in the church, in the community. The community's looking at you like you don't really care about people. And Jesus must have been standing there shaking his head at all of us. Did I not cover this in John 9 and Mark 9? Did I not cover this when John tried to cancel somebody who was doing good? And those aren't the only lines, right? I mean, if you've been around church, it's easy to allow our differences to lead to a critical spirit. That church over there, they're just old. Sing all those hymns that nobody really understands anymore. That church over there, they're just young. They're just trendy. I don't even know if they use the Bible. I'm not making this up. These are things that people have said to me. That church over there, they're just loud. That church over there, they're just boring. That church over there, they're just entertaining people. And we get critical. You want to be a great church? Church on the Hill? You you want to be great people who do great things for God? Then I think we need to redefine who's on the team. 
If there's people who have a relationship with Jesus, who are doing powerful things in the name of Jesus and showing compassion to those around them, then let's celebrate their wins. Now, hear me clearly on this. I'm not saying that that you shouldn't be educated and informed of theology and things that matter because there's some things that churches will teach that are just, man, they're out of line with what the scriptures teach. Uh, There will be some differences between churches. There's going to be some churches that are going to be a little more right on their theology and a little more wrong on their theology. But can I make this really clear? You're not saved by your theology. You're going to get to heaven, and and Jesus is going to look at you, and you're like, hey, do, do we know each other? Do we have a relationship? Did you trust on my death and resurrection to pay for your sins? And if you did, come on in. You're one of mine. You know what? I think I'm going to get there. He's going to be like, by the way, these 20 things, you didn't understand those correctly. Not only that, but you didn't even teach them right from up front. Sorry, Jesus. I'm so glad that your grace will cover (laughs) the missteps that I've made along the way. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever's not against us is for us. I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of cold, a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. I think he's redefining who the church is. And if he does that, those who do powerful things and those that show compassion and those who have a relationship with Jesus, those who trust his death and resurrection and his death and resurrection alone as payment for their sins then we can celebrate with them. They're our partners in the gospel. They're our family in Jesus. Now, remember, the focus on these disciples, they're arguing about who's the greatest. See, the, the problem is this. The disciples are trying to lift themselves up, and when Jesus says, stop lifting yourselves up, be the last of all, well, if I can't lift myself up, then what I have to do is push everybody else down so I get there first. Come on, it's kind of funny because we do this, don't we? I mean, individually. We, we don't want to brag about how good we are, even though really we're good. I mean, we don't want to brag about being the best, even though we're the best. We're mom and dad's favorite, right? No one works harder in the company than me, right? But I don't want to brag because that wouldn't be very humble. So instead of lifting myself up, here's what I got to do. I just got to keep everybody else down. Did you hear about so-and-so? Mm, yeah, they, they messed up. Yeah, did you hear about so-and-so? They just have a bad attitude, don't they? Are you with me? We do this, don't we? We get a critical spirit, and when it happens in churches, we're not great churches because we don't celebrate. We don't lift up those around us. I think great churches are generous, not jealous. I think great, great churches celebrate wins, wins rather than judge differences. I think great churches are trying to come at people with open arms rather than folded arms. I think great churches are helpful, not hurtful. I think great churches don't limit opportunities, but they give people opportunities. Last week, um, I was in the lobby. Pastor Josh was preaching, so I I got to do the lobby. I love being in the lobby. So much happens in there. one of our great servers, she walked up to me, her name's Ellie. She walks up and she goes, Pastor Scott, you got to meet Sue. Sue's here and she has questions about baptism. She wants to be baptized. And so, well, Sue speaks Cantonese and my Cantonese is pretty non-existent. 
So Ellie's translating. And Ellie's like, if I can help, that would be great. Like, I, I could translate. And if one of you pastors could meet with, with Sue so that, that she could understand baptism. And I thought it was interesting. Because Ellie saw herself as a translator. She needed a pastor, right? <laughs> uh-uh. Let's lift her up. Ellie, you got this. I want you to meet with Sue. And if you need a pastor to help coach you, help you with this, but you know what? No, no, no. Don't, you don't have to come to the pastor. You can explain baptism. So why don't you explain it to her? You got this. And not only that, but once you explain it to her, and you guys are on the same page, and she's a believer in Jesus, and she's going to be baptized, you hop in the tank. You put the swimsuit on. You stand next to her. Help her tell her story. You put her down under and bring her up. Let's lift each other up to great opportunities. And quit looking to the pastor to be doing it all. Because you know I'm not going to. There's too many of y'all. God's called you all, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be a minister of the gospel. One of the things you want to do is just keep lifting you up so that you take on opportunities that you never thought you had. So you can serve each other. So that you can show power in this church. So that you can show compassion in your community. This is fun. I just can't tell you what it does in my soul to look at somebody else and say, you got this. Now go. And they're like, me? <laughs> yeah. Every week I meet with a, uh, a group of people on a message team. And sometimes they're helpful. <laughs> that was funny. Sometimes they really, really help me. I'm, to be honest with you, I, I get a lot of great feedback from them. Or they say, hey, what about this story? You know the other reason I do a message team? It's because I want to help lift. Those that want to communicate the gospel, those that want to learn how to do it, those that go, I'm not sure if I'm good at this, but we'll, we'll give you opportunity. Let's figure this thing out. Back to this story, because it's about to take a pretty dramatic turn in a pretty co- confrontational way. This is what happens next. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, that's who the little ones are, those who believe in me, but they're probably young in their faith. I don't think he's talking about age. I think he's talking about maturity. It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. This just got real. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. You understand hyperbole, don't you? Okay, Jesus is exaggerating. He's making such a far statement. Please don't read this literally. I shouldn't have to tell you that, but there have been people throughout history (laughs) who, who have taken these words literally and maimed themselves. I think what Jesus is stating here is quit making excuses for the way that we represent him. We all got hurts, habits, and hang ups. Can I just put it in more biblical terms? We all got sin. You got sin. I got sin. 
We got ways that we just don't carry the values of Christ well. I think what Jesus is saying is this, are you doing something to get rid of that? Or are we just tolerating it in our community? When someone comes to us and says, you know, I'm, <laughs> this is a rare opportunity where someone's this honest. Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with greed. I'm struggling with lying. I'm being dishonest in my business. If someone actually came to us, would we say, hey, listen, listen, Jesus has got you. It's okay. Or would we say, thanks for being honest. Now, how do we put that to death? How, how do we get rid of that? The principle, I think, is this. Great churches require the sacrifice of self-denial. See, the problem with me is I think I can have everything. I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this, and I really don't have to limit myself because it feels very American to try and have it all. I think sometimes we mistake the gospel for the American dream. But I think Jesus is saying this. I want you to watch your heart. There's so much at stake. He says your life. I mean, he's talking about hell at this moment. Watch your example, and please, don't tolerate your sin. Don't brush it off. Don't pretend it's no big deal. And by the way, when your sin really hurts the spiritually immature around you, as if the spiritually immature look at you and just go, oh, well, if they can do that, then certainly I can too. It just doesn't matter. Jesus is like, it'd be better off if you were drowned. I mean, pretty harsh words. I think it's interesting the three body parts he chooses. Our hands symbolize what we do. Our feet symbolize the places that we go. And our eyes symbolize what we fill our minds with by looking at them. Come on now. Just pause and just be reflective for a moment. God, is there anything my hands do that dishonor you? Are there any places that my feet take me that I should not be? And do I fill my mind with things that I look at that I should not look at? And the truth is, yeah. And if you think I'm making too much about this, I think Paul makes it pretty clear in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living... Yeah, you read it. As living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Here's the truth. We don't like sacrifice. We don't mind it if somebody else does it for our benefit, right? Jesus on the cross, we're like, yes, Jesus, love you, sacrifice. We love it when other people do it for us. We, we just don't like sacrifice. And I think it honestly doesn't go with our culture because I think we have a consumeristic, consumeristic culture that just says, it's, I, I'm getting what I want. I think there's two reasons to discipline your life towards self-denial. First is this. I think it's truly about following a holy God. And we don't talk about God's holiness enough, I think. We talk about his love, his compassion. But when, most, when people in the scriptures are confronted with the presence of God, most of them are struck by how sinful they are and how holy God is, and most of their responses are in total fear. I think we talk about Jesus and God as our buddy, as opposed to his holiness, and it makes us want to say, I'm going to leave this life that dishonors him 
and discipline myself in such a way that I'm going to represent him better. I think Jesus just doesn't want us to be fake. Listen to me. He, doesn't, he knows you can't be perfect. Perfection is not the goal. But he just doesn't want us to fake it like, oh yeah, I love Jesus, and I don't care about how I talk to people, how I treat others, or how I prioritize his values. Second is this. We represent Jesus to the world around us, and we represent Jesus to the spiritually less mature around the room, and don't let a person who is young in their faith see your life and truly undervalue what it means to follow Jesus. If we're talking about great churches, I think great churches practice self-denial. And I want to be careful in this, because I certainly don't want to offend anyone, but I also want to be honest at the same time. There's this thing that goes on in church, and I hear about it. I hear about it every time I preach on parenting. I hear about it every time I preach on marriage. I hear it every time I preach on something that doesn't interest you as an individual. And I hear it this way. You know what? You're going to talk about that for a little bit. That just doesn't pertain to me. So I'll come back when you're off that topical series and see if the next one's going to connect with me, and then I'll show up. Two things that I think might uh, bug Jesus about that. Number one, as if we think that by opening the Word of God and reading it that He doesn't have something to say to us because it's on marriage or it's on finance or it's on whatever. The second is this. When did us coming to church be all about us? When was it like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get spiritually fed today? When did that become the sign of the church? That's the sign of the American consumeristic church. Shouldn't it be, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to see who I can encourage. I'm going to go to church and see who I can welcome. I'm going to go to church and build up a conversation so that I can build relationship with somebody because I don't know what's going on in 99.9% of the people's lives in this church because I don't know them. They don't know me, and it's hard enough hiding behind a mask right now in church. How do we get to know people? Are you here to encourage people? Or are you here to go, hope the pastor's good today? Come on. I know I'm offending some of you. But I think sometimes our growth needs to come through offense. There's a pastor who was, uh, he was answering an ad for another church. He's looking for a job and he saw this one online. And this Christ Community Church, they, they wrote this. Christ Community Church, we exist for our neighbors. Our church is poised and ready to do whatever it takes to reach our city for Jesus. So the pastor replied. And the search committee called him. They got together and he, he told the search committee this. Just, here, here's a four-point plan. Everyone in the church for the next year, everybody in the church, if he was going to be their pastor, needed to invite at least one person to church every week. Each person, 52 people. You got to invite somebody every week. Here's the second thing. They had Sunday school classes. He said, we're going to cancel the Sunday school classes because all those people all know each other and they don't talk to each other. So we're going to break up into small groups and you're going to invite new people and welcome new people and you're keep empty chairs there so that new people, the people that you invite will have a place and you're going to meet in your homes, not at the church because homes is so much more personal to get to know people that way. So Sunday school classes canceled. Third, we're going to change the music in the church. The handbell choir will no longer meet. Nothing, I'm not criticizing handball choirs. I'm just saying. 
The guy's story is, if this church exists for people outside, when they walk in, they're like, handbell choir, I've never seen anything like that. That's just old. Like, if you want to connect with an outside community, you better have music that connects with those kinds of people. Fourth, everyone who's ready to do whatever it takes would need to do the following. It's going to cost 10% of everybody's income, and they're going to give for two reasons. There's poor people in this town, and we're going to start by inviting the poor. We're going to help them pay their bills. No one's going hungry. No kids going to school with holes in their shoes. They're going to have a backpack. They're going to have everything they need to go to school. And this church is going to take care of it, but it's going to cost everybody 10%. Not only that, but when you walk in your building at church, man, this place is broken and old. And Who would want to come here? Let's create a church that people would love to be at. Well, that pastor didn't get the job. But it's interesting for a church to say, we're here for our city, we're going to do whatever it takes. I just wonder if they really mean that. Because those churches, most of them, they don't. They're going to do whatever it takes to a limit that's comfortable for them. Great churches, though. They make the sacrifice of self-denial. Third thing, and we'll finish with this real quick. This is how this scripture ends. Jesus shifts gears altogether. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. What a weird statement. (laughs) Jesus, please explain. Um, That fire is not a relationship to hell. That fire is all about persecution. Every Christian who decides, uh, we're going to be a great church, you're going to face persecution. Every church that says we're going to have self-denial, hey, we're going to move forward, we're going to be a great church for our city, you're all going to be persecuted. It's not easy. The Christian life was never promised to be easy. It was just promised to be the best life. He goes on, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. What does Jesus mean? I'll just give you my third point right out and just explain it. I think great churches need to be salty churches. Usually salty is not a compliment, right? Oh, that sailor, he's a salty one. What does that mean? I don't know. I think it means he's been at sea too long. He's like encrusted in salt. But most of the time, they're talking about his personality. Oh, he ain't warm. He not kind. He's just got a salty old personality. It's not a good thing. Oh, that person, they're just salty. What does that mean? Usually it means somebody who's grumpy, right? But Jesus, in this case, he comes straight out and he says this. Salt is good. Remember, he's still talking to the group. You as a group... Be salty. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. You see, salt is that thing that's in our cupboard, right? That the doctor says, don't have too much of that. 2,000 years ago, the world couldn't live without salt. Get this. You would put salt on your meat so the meat wouldn't decay and it would preserve that which is good. As a church, our saltiness is about getting rid of that which decays the church and might preserve it and preserve all that is good that God has for the church and all that is good about the gospel and all that is good about God. Do we preserve that in our community? And Jesus says, be salty and then be at peace with each other. Do you preserve the unity of the church by getting rid of that which decays us and grabbing onto all that that is good and the kindness and the love and the peace that God has for this church? What if we stopped the decay of jealousy 
hate, anger, cheap relationships, undervalued sex? What if we stopped the decay of consumerism, isolation, and selfishness? What if we stopped the decay that's happening in the values of the world around us, but we preserved the good in sacrificial love, in generosity, in compassion, and in true community? My invitation is this. I think what Jesus is saying is, do you want to be a great church? And if you want to be a great church, be a salty church. Have you gone to the movies? Maybe not recently. But you've gone to the movies and you grab that big old bag of popcorn? Have you ever tried to eat the whole thing and not drink anything? Come on, that's why you ordered that big old 85-ounce Coke, Right? You know why? Because when you eat too much salt, it just makes you thirsty. Do you think when people meet with us and we gather together, they're like, man, that church is so salty, makes me thirsty for God. Just makes me want to drink in more of this Jesus, whoever he is, I might not even know him, but the way they talk, the way they act, the way they loved on me, man, it just makes me thirsty for God. Man, I want to be that kind of church. You know what else? Let's just last thing. Come on, salt is tasty, yeah? Y'all smoke meat, barbecue meat? You don't just throw meat on the grill, do you? You got to rub it down with some stuff, right? I, I just want to be a tasty church. You're like, what's the theology behind that? I don't know. <laughs> I just think the church on the hill could be the kind of place that people go, mm, it's tasty here people I meet, the people who love me, I just want more of it. And when they want more of us, what they realize is they actually want more of Jesus. That's a great church. Can we be that great church? It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us following hard after Jesus. It's going to cost us lifting people up instead of leaving them out. It's going to cost us making sacrifices. It's going to cost us being a salty group of people in a good way. I think I've given you enough to think about today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you've confronted John in a pretty dramatic way. And Lord, there's so many more words to this that um, I've left out. But God, clearly we want to lift people up. Help us to take seriously your words recognize where we fail, knowing that your grace is enough to cover our failures. But God, it's not an excuse for us to stay the way that we are. Thank you. Thank you for the last 172 years that this church has been in this city. But God, unless we're ready to be a great church, our future is never secured. It's only secure when we put you on the throne and we follow you, and we set our agenda by you. Give us the courage to do that again and again. And if you agree with that, would you say amen?